is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore again today, as you may be aware. He was with you at 5 o'clock yesterday. Now, if you only listen in the very, very early part, because you're on the way to work and you're busy after that, you may not be aware that uh, by 6 o'clock yesterday, <laughs> everybody had had enough. Uh, John and everybody else just kind of said, you need to stop now, uh, because he was having so much trouble with his voice. And, uh, and I was here anyway. So I stepped in and then... Uh, Mark Tui was nice enough to come in early. He was already booked to do the Noon to Two show. Um, so he came in and took over for me at 10, and that's how the dance card worked out yesterday. So thanks to Mark Tui for doing that. Otherwise, you would have had way too much of me, which may have already happened this morning. But uh, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm in here once again for John Moore. Canada certainly has uh, a number of impressive entries in the, the list of top musical artists over the years. The Guess Who, BTO, Rush, Justin Bieber, uh, Mike Catherwood, who's working on the board. You couldn't wait for me to get to Justin Bieber. I just, I knew he was the next logical name in the list. Did I say Gordon Lightfoot? Oh, he's next. Well, yeah. see, Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, and without a doubt, Celine Dion. And so it was really shocking for Celine Dion fans yesterday to realize that they may not get new music or certainly um, concerts from Celine Dion. We hope for the best. She may or may not recover. She's only 54 years old. Um, you know, you can you can think that she's older because she's one of those people like Justin Bieber who started out really, really young. How old's Justin Bieber? He's not 54. No. <laughs> I'm not even sure if he's 24. Oh, no, he's got to be. Come on, he's got to be 30, isn't he? Anyway, um, it, was, it, it was a distressing piece of news yesterday for Celine Dion to have to share with her fans that she suffers from a rare neurological disorder, and it's called stiff person syndrome. I looked at this, and I thought, I don't have any idea what that is. Well, it's rare, and I'd never heard of it before. But thankfully, yesterday, last night, Jim Richards on the, the evening show talked to a doctor who not only knows about this, but suffers from it, as a matter of fact. She's a dentist. Dr. Tara Zier, CEO of the Stiff Person Syndrome Foundation. And she talked about uh, how this has affected her. I'm not able to do um, martial arts anymore. Uh and practice dentistry. Um, so I, I once once I was diagnosed and got a little further along, uh, I, I was able to pivot and start the foundation. So I, I found a new purpose for me, which has been I'm very grateful for that. Okay, it's it affects your muscles, uh, muscle spasms, which Celine Dion said affects every aspect of my daily life. That's a quote from her, um, including vocal cords apparently. More from Dr. Tara Zier, um, what people with stiff person syndrome have to deal with. I can tell you most people with stiff person syndrome uh, deal with fatigue, pain, muscle rigidity, uh, muscle spasms. Um, the spasms can be so severe, they break bones, dislocate joints, result in life-threatening breathing problems. Uh, many people um, will experience what's called a startle reflex um, when they are um, hear loud noises or surprised uh, they can actually experience a full body spasm and their body will freeze up and they are prone to falls and they don't have the postural 
muscle or reflexes to uh, catch their fall, end up face planting, and can sustain serious injuries, uh, which can lead to isolation, fear of leaving the home, fear of open spaces, uh, lend itself to depression. Mm. Um, and like you mentioned, uh, mobility uh, can often be uh, affected where people rely on walkers, wheelchairs, some are bedridden with the disease. So it's a, it's a spectrum disease. You will see uh, varying degrees of disability with this condition. Wow. That's something you don't want to get. And unfortunately, Celine Dion, excuse me, Celine Dion has, um, and whether or not she'll get back to performing is questionable. And what we're hearing here from Dr. Tara Zier, she's the CEO of the Stiff Person Syndrome Foundation. That's apparently the um, affliction that has attacked Celine Dion and uh, Dr. Tara Zier talked last night with Jim Richards about this. And what about that question? Is it possible that Dr. Zira can get back to dentistry or for Celine to return to singing and touring? I believe anything's possible. Um, for me, um, I even even if I was able to return to dentistry, I'm uh, I've moved on from okay. that, um, and I'm very comfortable and happy. Uh, working in the rare disease space, uh, ultimately my goal would be to uh, find better treatments and ultimately a, a cure for this disease. Um, and the holy grail would be that the research uh, that we, we do for this condition could open up doors for other similar conditions and lead to discoveries, better treatments for those as well. And then I would... Uh, at that point, I wouldn't need the foundation anymore yeah. and uh, uh, would end up continuing to work in the rare disease space. I find it uh, immensely rewarding. Uh, with Celine, I, I believe that anything's possible as far as her returning to, to singing. Um, it's hard to know uh, what the future holds for any of us. That's Dr. Tara Zier, and, you know, as I was thinking this morning about this story from Celine Dion, came out yesterday, and I just thought, I don't know anything about stiff person syndrome, and then I was so thankful that Jim Richards had done this interview yesterday. As Dr. Zier points out, it's a, um, a rare disease. Sometimes they're called orphan diseases because they don't get the attention, they don't get the treatment, the medications, because nobody's working on medication for that, the market for, you know, curing cancer or something is so much bigger. But one more from Dr. Zier, I find this fascinating, on managing stiff person syndrome. As far as management, there right now treatments and are focused on symptom management. Um, it's difficult. And um, some people respond better to certain treatments than others do. Um, and that's where research is so critical to understand the disease better, develop targeted treatments. Um, so as far as management, is it possible to get better? Um, I, I, I believe that's, that's true. I mean, I'm better than I was in 2017. Uh, I was probably about 5% functional where I couldn't drive, uh, work, care for myself or my kids. I couldn't uh, walk upstairs. And um, I would say I'm about 60% uh, functional now, which means that uh, I have to prepare for everything and uh, well in advance, I deal with ongoing fatigue and pain. Um, I've approached um, my health uh, comprehensively looking at the psychological, emotional and physical aspects. Yep. 
And I think that's, that's really key to healing. Um, the mind and body are very interconnected. That's Dr. Terazier speaking with Jim Richards last night on stiff person syndrome. Had you ever heard of it before? Maybe not. And you certainly would be forgiven for saying, I didn't have any idea what that was. Now we know a little bit more about it. And Mike Catherwood, who's running the technical operations here this morning, actually had uh, an interesting thought. What if uh, an orphan disease like this, something that we just don't know much about, became known as Celine Dion disease? Then you, it would, like you said, Mike, in the way that Lou Gehrig uh, kind of brought ALS to yeah, prior to prior to Lou Gehrig uh, contracting yeah. ALS. I, I, I mean, it's my understanding no one really understood what it was, and then he became the face of it, and then became it was allowed to have more notoriety and more awareness. Yeah, yeah, maybe that will happen. And by the way, so you don't have to wonder about it for the rest of the morning, Mike. Justin Bieber's twenty-eight. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, Jerry Agar in again for John Moore. He's still struggling with his voice. Hopefully he'll be okay if he just kind of takes it easy and relaxes through the weekend. Hopefully he'll be back in the chair on Monday morning. There's a, a lawsuit going forward in Quebec that uh, just in your own mind, decide whether you're with me or you're with a Quebec judge uh, on this one. You're on Team Jerry or you're on Team Judge um, that's how I often do these stories on my own show from 9 until noon, which Mark Tui will handle today. Here's the headline. Quebec judge authorizes class action lawsuit over addictive Fortnite game. What's happening here is a group of parents are suing Epic Games Incorporated and its Canadian subsidiary because they are claiming that the game is too addictive and is damaging their children. They make the claim that the game is highly addictive and that Fortnite caused their minor children to suffer psychological, physical, and financial harm. They're all seeking damages from the company that will be determined at a later date. The interesting thing to me here is that the judge has determined that this is not a claim that would appear to be frivolous or manifestly ill-founded. The uh, court, here's the statement from the judge. The court is of the opinion that the facts alleged with respect to the plaintiff's children make it possible to claim, if we put them in relation to the statements of certain experts with respect to the creation of an addiction to video games, and more particularly to Fortnite, that the plaintiffs have a valid product liability claim against the defendants. How much of this game were these kids playing? By the way, I don't know the age of the kids. Oftentimes when we're dealing with minors, we don't know that. So we don't know if we're dealing here with eight or nine-year-olds or 14 or 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. But from the report from Montreal's CTV News, one of the kids had played more than 7,781 hours of the game in less than two years, sometimes playing until 3 a.m. Another child allegedly played the game for a cumulative of the equivalent of 42 full days of playing. I'm not familiar with the game. I don't play video games, so I'm going with what the story tells us here. But the company said that they have amassed more than 350 million players worldwide, and that during April of that year, players spent more than 3.2 billion hours playing the game. 
the Battle Royale style of game, sees 100 players battle it out on an island until the last one is standing. It's free to play, but users can purchase in-game currency called V-Bucks using real-world money. Where do you think I'm going here when I say I'm not with the judge? Are you with me? Are you with the judge? No prizes involved here, but uh, the first text coming in from Toronto does win the game. Sounds like a parenting issue. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is this not, oh, my child was up and playing until three in the morning. You going to make them shut it down? Who's, who, how is it that kids are spending money on a video game without the parents knowing? You just give an unmonitored credit card to your kid? And if the kid somehow snuck your credit card out of your your purse or dad's wallet, which he set next to the keys on a, on a table or something, well, then again, that's a parenting issue. I can't, well, nobody's writing in and you're, you're welcome to text here at 7, 10, 10. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine anybody's going to agree with the judge on this. Um, here, here's a, a text. Exactly what I was going to say. What happened to parenting? When my eight-year-old won't stop watching TV, I remove the cord and lock it in the car. (laughs) Uh, Jerry, I think I I can see one issue where I understand you're saying with the parenting issue that, yeah, no parent should be allowing their child to be doing this to the point where they're going into debt or anything like that. Yeah. But I would say like the development of these games, I don't play, I'm a video gamer a little bit. I don't play this one. But the development of these games, I could see an angle with a lawyer saying, the amount of research and the amount of um, gamification, uh, like almost like uh, how slot machines are designed with a gambling aspect, because there's money involved, if they are designing them to be so addictive that yeah. they're preying on children, I could see maybe an angle there for a lawyer to get somewhere in a judge. I don't know how successful it's going to be, but okay. I could see an angle. I think you're playing devil's advocate to a certain degree here. Is, am I right? Yeah. Okay, um, because I would say they designed this game to be addictive. Well, good for them. That's their job. Their job is to make it as interesting and compelling as possible. But then can you market addictive materials to children? What if somebody calls in and says, I just can't stop listening to John Moore. Like, I'll stop when Jerry's on because he's angry and, you know, who wants to listen to him? But, but when John's on, I just can't stop listening. I'm suing Bell Media. He's, he's wasting my time. John Moore should start selling John Moore bucks, though. <laughs> um, well, uh, other than the devil's advocate argument that Mike just made, which I appreciate, um, nobody's writing in saying I'm on team judge here. You know, wake, wake up. I, I, this is the one I'd want to be a juror on. So I'd say, at some point, I'd just go, excuse me, Your Honor, can we put an end to this thing? Could these people j- just go home and be parents? Thank you. Thanks for playing. <laughs> John Moore is out again today due to his voice issues. I'm Jerry Yeager. This is News Talk 1010. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning. I'm Jerry Agar in again for John Moore. If you heard him yesterday, you might not be surprised that I'm here again today. We're hoping he'll be well by Monday. Thanks to everybody sending the possible cures and everything for what John has. Uh, he'll have to take those under consideration. Um, you know what? One was maybe he should see a doctor. Maybe he should see a doctor because he's, I don't know if he has or he hasn't. Um, but he's ha- been having a problem with his voice for a while, hasn't he? He was missing... Um, a week or so ago, I was filling in for him, and now I'm here again today. 
And some people are just sick about it. I can't believe that I wake up in the morning, I have to listen to Jerry Agar. That's, that's just horrible. We'll listen for a moment because this is a fascinating story, a cool little story on the crime beat. And then we'll get into this thing between the RCMP and China. This is reported by the Star. I'll just give you the story. It's pretty short, but it's, it's interesting. While on patrol, a cadet member of the Hamilton Police Service received a cold-blooded surprise shortly after 5 a.m. on Thursday. Police officers responded to a commercial break and enter after reports somebody had broken a window and went inside a store, King Street East, in Hamilton. When officers arrived, they arrested a man in his 40s and they charged him with break-and-enter offenses. Now, if you had money in your pocket, the money would stay in your pocket and they would only find it if they searched you. If you had robbed the jewelry store and you'd stuffed jewels and watches and stuff like that in your pockets, I've broken from the story here. Now, this is my commentary on it. That stuff would stay in your pocket until if you're arrested, maybe they searched you and they went, oh, where did all this jewelry come from? Or what's this money? Is this your money? Or is that the money you just stole from uh, the break and enter? No, in this case, the stolen property announced itself. Uh, They had arrested the guy and they were charging him. And then a green tree python poked out of the guy's jacket and said, hello, this guy's trying to, st- this, is that a snake in your pocket? Uh, this, uh, sn- the, the guy was stealing the snake. According to police, the snake is worth $2,000. It was stolen from a Hamilton pet store. Now, the officers were accompanied by a member of its cadet program who was able to return the snake to its cage inside the store. And there's a great photo here of the cadet picking the snake up with her baton. Do you know what that baton is called? It's co- Mike's nodding his head. Okay, Mike, go go ahead. Show us how smart you are. Well, just the, the baton is also known. It's a collapsible baton, also known as an asp. An asp. Yes, that's which right. Is Although, a type this, of snake. It is a type. It's of an snake. asp on an asp. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a dessert. Asp on asp. Uh, this is, in this case it was a green tree python. The, the snakes. No snakes were injured uh, during this incident, and this guy is. Uh, in some kind of trouble. And uh, Hamilton Police Media spokesperson Krista Lee Ernst put out a tweet on this saying, you never know what you'll discover on patrol. I, You know, I have to believe any police officer who's been around for any period of time has got some cool stories to tell. And this uh, particular cadet is off to a pretty good start. On this. So here we are arresting the guy and a snake pokes its head out of his pocket. And then I used my asp <laughs> to get that snake back where it belonged. All right. So on a much more uh, serious note here, the RCMP have ended a contract with a company with Chinese government ties. And we have a report on this from Anna Bergeron Oliver. So... Why should you trust Hytera? A contract with the RCMP that prompted national security concerns and backlash against the government is now suspended. There are some uh, very direct controls over the equipment itself, but look, there's no doubt uh, that there are very legitimate concerns around uh, the way in which um, the uh, contract was awarded. In 2021, Sinclair Technologies received a half a million dollar contract for work on RCMP radio frequency equipment. It was awarded after the Ontario 
business became a subsidiary of a Chinese telecommunications firm in 2017. Hytera is partially owned by the Chinese government, and the Liberals greenlit that deal without a full-fledged national security review. There is no risk to national security. Now the connection to China is raising concerns and has some saying the technology installed should be removed. As a parent company, they will have access to records. They might have access to the decryption keys, access to files, and that's when it becomes extremely problematic from a national security perspective. Since the Chinese takeover, procurement, the RCMP, the Defense Department and Fisheries and Oceans have all awarded Sinclair contracts valued at more than $2.6 million. The value of one DND contract for antenna equipment destined for two Canadian military bases is hidden. Are you going to have those contracts renewed or reviewed as well? The defense minister refused to answer questions, while the foreign minister blamed public servants. The independent public service has decided to sign that contract at the time, and these contracts should have never been signed. All right, thanks for that report. Now, uh, responses from the government. Here's what you heard a little bit in that report from Justin Trudeau where he said there's no threat to national security, but here's something else that the prime minister had to say. Obviously, we have to ensure uh, that it is explicitly spelled out uh, that sensitive contracts that implicate issues of national security Uh, need to be uh, provided to uh, only uh, reliable reliable, uh, uh, sources of procurement. All right, and here's what the leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, had to say. It's almost something that you'd expect to be out of a spy novel, but characters in spy novels would never be that incompetent. So the prime minister has to take the responsibility for his own government all right, so um, you'll hear more on that story, I'm sure. And later on this morning, 7.45 and 8.45 panels, I'm going to um, do a little survey among the panelists. It, would it even be possible for Canada to just totally disengage economically from China? Meanwhile, other stories that are bubbling around this morning. This is, I think, actually um, a good way for the government to go. A House committee is taking a look at letting victims opt out of publication bans. We have these conversations from time to time about whether or not courts are too quick to put publication bans in place on court proceedings and then bans on naming the people in stories. And you'll have the accused in some cases, especially where there are alleged sexual offenses, you will have the accused very quickly named and pictures shown on the visual media, the newspapers and television and online. And we have no idea who the, perp- who the person complaining is. Um, and it, it seems an imbalance. Some people don't think that's unfair. Some people do. But sometimes the victim in a case is subject to a publication ban and they don't want to be. They supposedly it's being done for their own good, but they don't see it that way. And so this committee is recommending changes to the criminal code so that victims must be informed before a publication ban is imposed and they will have the ability to opt out. They call that a victim-centered approach. Kat Owens, project director of the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, said... The most important thing for moving forward is for survivors to be able to have meaningful choices in terms of whether a publication ban is implemented and when one is removed. If the victim wants to tell their story, 
they should tell their story. I think this is possibly a good move from the government if they move forward on that. And now, five things. More in the morning presents the five things you need to know. Doug Ford officially gives Toronto's mayor even stronger powers. The TDSB says no to armed officers in schools amid student violence. Metrolink says there's no credible plan for completing the Eglinton LRT. Be on the lookout for scammers posing as Ontario's energy board employees. And gas prices are down and, better news, likely to stay that way for a few weeks. More in the morning continues on News Talk 1010 Toronto. We had quite the day yesterday on this story that was one of the five things the TDSB says no to armed officers in schools amid student violence. I'm not going to spend the morning revisiting it, but I will spend a couple of minutes here because I had a fascinating conversation yesterday on the show with Rachel Chernos Lynn, who's head of the TTSB board at TDSB board, and Shelley Carroll, who's a counselor, was on yesterday, and she was one of the people who worked toward having the police officers taken out of the school. And what I found distressing yesterday during the course of the morning was the heel stuck in the mud kind of attitude that the school board and some counselors are taking toward the idea of putting police officers back in the school. It's just a no right across the board where you would think with some of the schools that are having the worst problems, where teachers are booking off because they're afraid to come to uh, school, to come to work, and students are subjected to being beaten up in the bathroom, you know, that sort of thing, and a whole list of violent um, occurrences, the admission by the TDSB that they're going to have the worst year ever in terms of violence at school, that they wouldn't even consider putting some police officers into the schools that are the worst. They could maybe call the teacher and say, we've got some police officers in school now. You can come back to work. I don't know why they wouldn't consider that. But here's Rachel Chernos-Lynn, the chair of the TDSB board. Our staff have brought forward a report of um, pieces that they are implementing, and that was passed last night unanimously by trustees. It includes things like ensuring every secondary school has a student engagement safety team so that students have a voice in what's happening at their school creating a safe schools audit team to work with schools on school safety issues. We're creating an expert table reference group that will look at school and community safety and will be made up of service providers from across the city, students, parents, and trustees, among others. All right. I I don't have a problem with any of those things. Maybe you do, uh, in which case maybe you know more about each one of those things than I would. But Okay, those are all good, but why why wouldn't you also say, look, whether we can put in a direct cause and effect or not, it's still a fact that after you took the police officers out, violence in the school went up. Now, some of it might have to do with all of the frustrations and mental issues the kids are dealing with coming through all of the lockdowns, et cetera, that we had from COVID. No doubt that could be part of it. But the obstinate refusal to talk about putting police officers back in school when by vast majorities, the parents, the kids, and the teachers want the officers there, never wanted them gone, is surprising to me. Here is um, spokesperson for the TDSB, Ryan Bird. Moving forward, uh, you know, are there limited circumstances where uh, police following an urgent safety concern could help support us? Absolutely. Uh, But we are not looking and nor did trustees approve that last night 
uh, at returning to uh, a system like the SRO program. All right, and one more, and this is uh, Shelley Carroll was on the one of the panels, Free For All Round 1, yesterday, brought this issue up, and here's, she's a uh, city councillor for Toronto, of course, and here's what she said. No, actually, Jerry, uh, what we heard from was in schools where there was, was uh, uh, already a high degree of safety and no real threat, um, and quite frankly, less diversity, we heard people saying, saying uh, we like our officer, but it was a very uneven feeling across the school board. And, and so we heard from the officers themselves. We heard from parents. Yes, we heard from activists, but we also heard from young kids themselves, very, very young uh, kids, and most of them students of color, who said they felt very, very targeted and sometimes downright uh, unsafe. Um, kids who worried that that uh, uh, their parents' immigration status was going to become exposed and somehow uh, um, uh, targeted. Uh, we heard all sorts of very problematic things. All right. Um, she was responding to me saying, you just listened to the advocate or to the activists. Well, okay. 10% of students didn't want the police. 8%, single digit, 8% percent of parents didn't want the police. That's way beyond, oh, it's different in the minority community. That's, that, that's a minority of the minorities who live in the city of Toronto and send their kids to schools in the city of Toronto. It was most definitely just the activists that uh, the school board and Shelly Carroll listen to. And whatever game they want to run, like Shelly Carroll was doing yesterday, is that's what it is. And it, it baffles me. I got pretty worked up about this yesterday, by the way, and flipped out on some listeners and <laughs> these people, and I'm not going to do that this morning. I'll, I'll explain it to you more in a, in a calm fashion here, because, you know, it's not even 6 o'clock in the morning yet. Even I know not to gear it up <laughs> the way I do during my show uh, this time of the morning. But I got frustrated with people who were writing in saying, why are you getting so upset about this? And my question back to them was, why aren't you? Kids are under attack. How long is it going to be before one of these stories turns into a dead kid at the schools? Kids and teachers are under attack. There is at least um, enough evidence to suggest that putting the police back in could be a good idea. And I, I, I don't want violence to continue in the schools. The fact that it is, and that instead of um, a real aggressive solution-based plan, I get Shelley Carroll and the Rachel Chernos Lynn running a political game. How does that help the kids? Why isn't it sensible to say, at least in the, identify the one school, the one school that is the worst. Is it York Memorial right now? Well, why not put a police officer or two, depending on the, I think it's a pretty good sizable student population there because they combined a couple of schools. Why not try that? Why not try that, along with the other laundry list of things that Miss um, Chernos Lynn listed for us, uh, as you heard a few minutes ago? Because the question comes down to this. Do you really care about the safety of the school, or do you just care about wah, wah, wah? Um, answer, <laughs> answer that question. And uh, everyone would say they care about the, the safety of the kids, of course. However... Actions speak louder than words. 
and digging your heels in and refusing to even talk about putting a resource officer in the worst school, that's an action. It's an action not taken, but it's, you know what I mean. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.